Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Security Token Show. I'm your host, Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Herwig Konings. And this week, we're going to be discussing the topic of the Security Token Stack and its four layers. But before we do, we're going to cover the usual agenda, starting with our companies of the week, followed by industry news from last week, the latest in security token offerings, the trading activity update from the market, and then finally transitioning into our exciting main topic. So leading us off, Herwig, this week, please kick it off with your company of the week. Absolutely, Kyle. Glad to be here. Thank you, everybody, tuning back in and welcome new listeners. And Kyle, as you know, I'm always a big fan of new exchanges launching in the space. And that's why I have to give my company of the week out to Tokenize for successfully launching the Tokenize stock exchange last week. So this is a completely regulated and licensed exchange registered in Barbados. And listing on the exchange, according to the site, is very similar to what you would kind of see in a traditional IPO. Companies have to appoint a corporate advisor, which is sort of similar to appointing an investment bank. Uh, and then they prepare the asset information for the tokenized stock exchange to review. And after listing approval, the securities are transferred by the issuer to a regulated depository, of course, probably by the Barbados requirements as well as by, by tokenize. And then after they are received, the security tokens are issued to investors and they become tradable on the tokenized stock exchange. So we'll be, of course, on the lookout for their listings. And now that they are live, hopefully we'll, we'll start to see a, a push towards some announcements around that. And it's, of course, always great to see the universe of liquidity providers for security tokens expand. So congratulations to the tokenized team. I know that they've been working hard on getting to this launch stage for a long time. That's amazing news. We saw just a few weeks ago the launch of the peer-to-peer network from Securitize. We saw North Capital get their ATS. We certainly have been excited about T0 and, and their plans for 2020. And now we've got Tokenize and potentially others as well with Merge and Blockstation waiting in the wings. There definitely seems to be a lot of exciting new marketplaces and liquidity options coming out. Very exciting from Tokenize. Things are heating up in the liquidity space for sure, Kyle. And you know, speaking of moving the space forward, Kyle, tell us who's your company of the week. So my company of the week is, is one that you may not have heard of before if you're a listener of the show, and that is the New York-based Axoni, A-X-O-N-I which now has $72 billion in equities on loan across the Americas. So they're a, they're a debt provider. And the reason that they're my company of the week this week is because they announced a partnership with the Options Clearing Corporation, which is a firm that does clearing and settlement for directly for the largest financial players, including NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, CBOE, and others. And so this Options Clearing Corporation is a huge traditional financial player. And obviously, as we're talking about clearing, we're talking about managing the assets between all these different shareholders. And so this partnership is going to provide the infrastructure for 
the companies that are involved, including the OCC as well as others, to run their own nodes on Axoni's proprietary AxCore blockchain, giving them direct access to the same pool of data in real time instead of having to rely on a series of time-consuming messages asking for and receiving this data. So essentially what this means is that we're taking all of that asset transfer information that companies like the OCC have to manage between all these different marketplaces and exchanges, and instead of having that all in a centralized manner between many of the different clearinghouses, they'll all be able to contribute to one distributed ledger in which they'll all have access through what's called a node. And so this move, which is scheduled to be ready for clients in 2022, comes on the heels of a January 2020 launch of a new equity swap platform backed by Goldman Sachs and Citi, which is also powered by the AxCore blockchain. Additionally, the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, the DTCC, which is another huge player in the clearing and settlement space, is in the final stages of moving its massive $11 trillion trade information warehouse onto the same AxCore platform. $11 trillion in financial records of asset trade. Wow. One OCC executive says that currently as many as three employees are required to manage the reconciliation process for every profit-generating trader. And with this upgrade, this information would be accessible immediately without the need of the reconciliation process at all. That's the work of three people, three salaried people today for one profit-generating trader. And this essentially all can be wiped out with a small data management team and this node leveraging the distributed ledger technology. One OCC vice president of securities finance, Matt Wolf, he also added, quote, our expectation is that by using a distributed ledger, participants will be able to synchronize to that golden record in order to not have the prevalence of errors that they do have today, reduce the reconciliation costs and challenges to bring greater automation and efficiency to the process, end quote. So, I mean, Come on, guys. This is exactly what we're talking about in terms of tokenization, in terms of blockchain and distributed ledger. We're talking about the largest financial players that are talking about billions and trillions of dollars of things that they need to track. And instead of needing to have people dotting every I and crossing every T, we're finding ways to be able to upload this to one centralized ledger, be able to track it all in one place, and then have all of the market participants be able to access it within each other, but in a private so that not everybody can see it, only the ones that are entering in a private enterprise-style blockchain that will be able to manage all these different pieces and, again, capture that automation component as well, which I think is, is underplayed and certainly can be hugely leveraged. So congratulations to the Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan-backed Axoni. They, yes, they have raised money from some of these largest banks as well for not only building a huge institutional book of business, but leading the charge to integrate distributed ledger technology into their business model. On top of that, they've gotten votes of confidence from some of the largest investment banks and financial players and are now seeing a main clearinghouse jumping on board with a glowing review of these new services. This is a textbook institutional play and one that I believe that all of our listeners should be aware of because, look, whether you see it on the public side or not, these moves are happening. They're coming. They certainly don't happen overnight. We're talking about a 2022 launch. But when you're talking about $11 trillion, doing it any quicker might be negligent uh, for the market. So, Herwig, I-, I just covered a lot of stuff there, but but I think it's pretty clear Axoni is, is a company of the week, potentially a, a finalist for, for company of the year with what they've accomplished already in 2020. 
Thank you, Kyle, for the very expansive overview of Axoni there. Definitely huge for them to get a major clearinghouse on board, especially on top of the another uh, initiatives that you mentioned that they're working on. Really, really cool stuff. Not sure company of the year worthy. As, as you mentioned, it is huge news, but uh, these things take a lot of time. And so it, that, it happens when it happens, Kyle. It's all substance till, till then. And, you know, the good news is that I think it's great to see uh, companies like Corda uh, have, uh, or, or R3 and, and Corda with AxCore have some competition mm-hmm. there. Uh, for Absolutely. some of these institutional clients, which uh, I'm sure, at least in this case, Axonia has done a, a really great job really penetrating Wall Street in this case. So f- congratulations to that team. And with that, I think we can segue right into the industry news. And before I do, I just want to let all our listeners know that all of the articles we discuss on the show, they're all sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available there, you know, for, for engagement to see what the community says. You can yourself submit your own news that we might have missed, that the community might have missed. And of course, if you don't want to head out there, you can find any of the articles we discussed in the reference for, for reference in the description of wherever you're listening to. So with that, we're going to start things off with Libra, which continues on its quest to gain regulatory approval, especially following their new Libra 2.0 announcement. Uh, And that announcement that they have made last week is that the organization has now finally appointed its first CEO. So that honor goes to Stuart Levy, who previously served as the chief legal officer of HSBC and also as the undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. So naturally there, he's a great fit for the position, both as a veteran executive, but also someone who served in government and in the industry. So there was no official statement from Stewart, but Katie Haig, who's the general partner from Andreessen Horowitz, who led the search, said that, quote, Stewart shares our vision for using blockchain technology to deliver a more open, inclusive, and high-functioning payment system that puts crypto in the hands of billions around the world. So it definitely seems like Libra is, is continuing to be reinvigorated with their charge towards launching. And now with a, a proper CEO, a very legitimate CEO, and their new version, maybe they'll get closer to actually getting that regulatory approval to launch. And last week, I also ran down the redemption options for Telegram investors from the billion-dollar-plus ICO. And just as quickly as I mentioned them, it looks like they have already changed somewhat. So the first option for investors was to simply accept 72% of your original investment. The second option was to receive 110% on your investment, but you had to wait one year, and the payment was possible that it could be in gram tokens or other crypto. Now, Telegram has decided that all payments will be cash only, and more specifically, and I think more interestingly, all U.S. investors must immediately and exclusively accept option one meaning that they all must take an almost 30% hit on their investment. Uh, Too bad for U.S. investors participating in this sale. And honestly, this is not really that surprising uh, because the SEC is the regulator that's going after Telegram. And with the priority, of course, for the SEC being U.S. investors, Telegram is now looking to release itself from all these U.S. investors to get the regulator off their back and move forward with their 2021 goal of launching. 
Of course, we will see what happens ultimately since a judgment from the courts hasn't been released yet. And now we will see ultimately if Telegram's actions help it uh, you know, get closer to its goal of launching. Hmm. And that leads us to a next bit of news regarding yet another company that did a billion-dollar-plus ICO and is now in hot water with the courts. I am, of course, talking about Ripple, which a few episodes ago I reported (laughs) was starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel regarding their original lawsuit with investors claiming that XRP sales were, in fact, unregistered security sales. And now news has come out that yet another lawsuit has filed against the company with the same allegations. You know, this counts now multiple lawsuits against the company, which, in fact, Ripple itself tried to cap new cases from coming and and had that work request rejected. And it seems like the case for XRP being labeled as a security, or at least a cryptocurrency that was considered a security in the past, could lead it to a lot of fines and settlements uh, with investors for these resulting violations. So definitely a big deal. More on this is is actually available on episode eight, if you're interested, uh, where we talked about what Ripple's uh, judgment could mean for the security token industry. And meanwhile, countries all around the world are attempting to define security tokens and crypto assets to avoid situations exactly like Libra, Telegram, and Ripples. At the end of 2019, in episode 23, we counted 14 countries that had defined digital assets and security tokens. That list now continues to grow, especially with Gibraltar coming out with its own ruling. The legislation doesn't quite define digital assets across the board, and more simply, simply rules that token offerings of all kinds are security token offerings. This makes the default requirement for any token issuer in the region to follow security laws there. The country's minister for digital and financial services, Albert Isola, said that the new legislation is more of an initiative to STOs seeking a regulatory-friendly environment rather than a snub to the utility token community. And it's also worth mentioning that the regulators will be watching the market closely. And Albert said that if the regulators feel the need to, they may decide to introduce separate frameworks for token sales. We'll see how this change ultimately affects the blockchain ecosystem as a whole in the tiny peninsula state. And another country also went on to publish some new security token regulations, and that's Taiwan. The changes seem to be intended positively with the headline reading that you can now do an STO with the equivalent of roughly up to a million U.S. dollars in Taiwan's native currency. However, the fine print is uh, not good. The devil is in the details, as they say, as the fine print reads that investors are capped at around an equivalent of $10,000 per investment, and that STOs cannot be sold on more than one platform at a time. And additionally, when it comes to trading, the combined volume of single security token traded on the same business day cannot pass 50% of the outstanding security token volume. Very, very interesting rules. Needless to say, the financial community has been displeased with the outcome, citing that the fundraising limits and investor caps are core issues. This kind of reminds me of what happened here in the U.S. when the SEC released regulation crowdfunding rules for up to a million with lots of restrictions, and many have also since gone on to call these rules dead on arrival since there was no major adoption of Reg CF. So let's see if Taiwan's regulators respond to the community or stick by their new rules. 
And finally, we also saw the state of California start to make some specific changes regarding crypto definitions. This one is quite interesting, in fact, as it seeks to make state securities laws offer a clearer definition for what defines a security, leaving some breathing room for ICOs to thrive. The new bill would modify the current how we test like language in the state law to say that if an asset's profits are not fully dependent on the action and management of third parties, it should not be classified as a security. Now, that's a key component, that independence from a third-party part. That is something that the National Howey Test, the SEC, uses that Howey Test, uh, which it doesn't condone that independence. So essentially, if a coin were to be able to prove that it is not dependent on the management of third parties, then it is not a security in the same way that many coins are set up now independent of one specific party's control. So Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase has said that this legislation would be a huge boon for California and he's given it his full support. And I can definitely see it help the state, though we have to remember that it would force the coin to remain within the confines of California. And I doubt that would be the case for most token projects. So anyway, let's not put the cart before the horse. The bill still needs to pass. We also saw a string of company announcements last week. We're going to kick that off with an investment from the Stellar Development Foundation, which invested into Abra to the tune of $5 million, the largest investment to date by the SDF. Importantly, the decision to invest in Abra comes just weeks before the company is set to convert all services over to the Stellar blockchain. Now, the Abra mobile app lets users invest into dozens of cryptocurrencies and stablecoins, and it is expected that this partnership will help both firms expand into the security token space. Stellar has quietly been building infrastructure and rising as an alternative to Ethereum or Tezos for security tokens. Definitely another move to make that happen. Next, we saw an announcement from San Francisco-based issuance platform TokenSoft. The firm has officially gone international, and it's focusing its expansion on Europe with a new partner, TokenSoft International AG. So if you are a little confused, that's because it sort of is a little confusing. TokenSoft International AG is an existing company out of Switzerland that will be taking TokenSoft Inc.'s STO software and make it compliant with Swiss regulations and GDPR privacy laws. TokenSoft International AG has an exclusive licensing agreement to distribute TokenSoft Inc. technology in the Swiss and European markets, a seemingly fit partnership if you ask me since both firms came up with the same name separately, but conveniently now cover two different geographies. <laughs> and in addition, in addition to this announcement, I also got to say that SIBA, the first crypto bank in Switzerland to get regulatory, regulatory approval, has teamed up with TokenSoft's to enhance their tokenization capability. So, quote, as one of the leading security token issuance and asset servicing platforms, TokenSoft's core competencies perfectly complement our existing asset tokenization capabilities. Our asset tokenization division offers enterprise-grade solutions with our Swiss banking license, assuring the highest standards in security and stability, says Matthew Alexander, head of asset tokenization at SIBA. So, very, very impressive partnership. Very exciting that TokenSoft now has a foothold into Europe, which is very similar to Securitize making a strong presence in Japan, as TokenSoft similarly focuses on Switzerland to expand its footprint. Congratulations to everyone involved in furthering the Swiss security token ecosystem specifically. 
And speaking of Securitize, the company announced a digital ID service just weeks after announcing the instant access service that earned them my company of the week in episode 41. The digital ID service that they've announced streamlines KYC, AML, and KYB compliance and creates a passport for investors to qualify for new Securitize-based offerings immediately, letting them simply just log in again, which of course speeds up the entire investment process. The feature further builds out the Securitize ecosystem to offer the end and tools needed to launch an STO. And for all the work the company has been doing in the space, Coindesk recognized them as a Coindesk 50 company this year. That's a great honor, especially given that there are no other security token focused companies to have yet be nominated. Congratulations to Securitize team for making that list. And we also saw two new tokenization solutions launched in the market last week. The first one is called Grid, which is dubbed a smart securities platform by its creator, the GSX Group, which owns and operates the Gibraltar Stock Exchange. The group overall should be pretty happy with the new law setting them up, by the way, since there will now be high demand for their Grid platform for now since that all token offerings will need a compliant STO solution to move forward. The Grid platform is built on and powered by the native Stacks Network, which is an in-house proprietary blockchain designed for securities and powered by the GATE token. Interestingly enough, the platform Grid is based in Estonia, which is unclear why, especially since it has no special stance toward STOs. But Nick Cohen, the CEO of GSX Group, does say that this is the first step, first stage, I should say, of a multi-tiered approach in an overarching strategy that they're excited to start unveiling to the world. He says, "quote We are all uh, we are well on our way to delivering a true fintech solution to drive capital markets forward into a new era defined by increased efficiencies, the removal of unnecessary counterparty risk, and unprecedented access to global liquidity pools." An excitement statement, exciting stuff that they're working on. Honestly, it almost won my company of the week this week. It's a great accomplishment. Congrats to that. And finally, to close out our new cycle, we have the launch of Free Equity by Unibright. The the free equity platform is dubbed by Unibright as a 360 degrees tokenization platform built around the user experience. The platform is meant to cover everything from the crowdfunding sale to regulatory compliance and the token issuance, as well as touting a native liquidity pool functionality. So Unibright, which is a, a, a B2B blockchain solutions firm based in Germany, and it's presumably then focusing on providing the SDO platform to German and European issuers as well as, you know, as an additional service to existing clients. So very cool to see further tokenization solutions come to Europe. And that's all the new scoop that I have for you. So now I'll pass it over to you, Kyle, who you're going to key us into some of the virtual events coming up in the industry. Virtual events. We fully pivoted into the Zoom style webinars as we brace and continue to adjust to the virtual life cycle. And so the first one I have here is one that we mentioned last week. And this is the free keynote on tokenization hosted by Mikobo. It is the tokenization of assets, new financial opportunities for investors and issuers on May 13th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And it features three key speakers. The first one is Thomas Nagel, and he is covering the legal framework around tokenization and what we can learn from the Liechtenstein securities regulations that have recently passed. The second is from Professor Dr. Philip Sander, 
and he discusses the key takeaways and crucial points of the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act. And then finally, we have Lucas Frid, who, who's going to be discussing tokenization, liquidity, efficiencies, and resiliencies to improve financial markets. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about Liechtenstein and, and what they've been working on, as well as some, some good thought leadership from a lot of these, these people, definitely check that one out. And then second off, we have the Draper Gorin Home Digital Securities Summit, virtual edition. They are pivoting to the virtual sphere. This will be May 20th from 12 to 3 p.m. Um, EST, I believe. And, uh, and they will be working with security tokens realized for the event. However, there's not a ton of information from what I can see online regarding a schedule. I ha- have reached out to the team there, and, and certainly I can get you that info as soon as possible. But that is coming up, I think, in, in just a matter of a week and a half or so. So if you're interested, definitely check that one out. I'm sure it will be a good, high-quality event. Unfortunately, we don't have any new STOs this week. Uh, probably because of the current market climate, they're, they're, the current existing STOs are fundraising, um, but the new ones have been on pause for the week, so that's okay. But we can get into the market update. And in the market update, I have, have a couple reports to cover first. The first one being my STM market report highlights from April 2020. And so last week, I published an article that details a few of the takeaways from the security token market April market report. And so I've mentioned that on the podcast before, but at Security Token Market, we do publish a a market report on the first week of every month that details the security token trading performance, volumes, and some brief analysis. So this report can be quite a job to parse through. So I've begun posting a follow-up article with some of the highlights and some of my own analysis as well. And so it may be interesting to cover that real, really quickly. So for the month of April, I had four main observations. The first one is that Open Finance Network overtook T0 for total exchange market cap, edging it out by just under a million U.S. dollars. And so this seems that it happened in January as well, but this is the first time since, suggesting that potentially the total number of tokens on OFN does make up for much of the gap in individual market cap for each token. But it definitely is surprising to see, especially because of the delisting announcement that we saw from OFN just a few weeks ago. There's likely, most people would expect that that would cause some of the prices to drop. We certainly saw that in some cases, like with blockchain capital. But the reality is that it hasn't changed quite that much because open finance was still higher in total market cap, which is different and certainly changed from the month of March or April prior to that announcement. So something very interesting. From there, I also analyzed the real estate token's performance. And if you've been listening to the show, you should not be surprised to hear the glowing report. The real estate assets we've tracked have been some of the most consistent and best performing assets in the market. And despite a decline of the market in total over the month of April, which is down about 7.5%, the real estate sector was green all the way across the board. All six tokens finished in the green. We're in the black. Another interesting point I found when parsing through the data was that Lottery.com's performance. And as we covered on the show just a a month or two ago, Lottery.com opened for full retail U.S. trading in the month month of March, yet it did not see one single trade on the open finance platform across the entire month of April. So this is a pretty good reminder to any issuer that access does not necessarily mean liquidity for your asset. And because something someone can buy something doesn't mean that they will. I think a large part of this is due to a totally quiet founding team and pretty much no investor relations at all from Lottery. 
but um, it's disappointing because the token was created in an attempt to launch a charity foundation, and certainly we hope for the best for that team, that asset for the industry, and certainly anything that is looking to provide for charity is something we're in full support of. So the hope is that that turns around, but it is a very interesting piece of information considering it is the only retail accessible offering on open finance at this time. Finally, we address the growing adoption of European security tokens, with Mount Pelerin and Startup Bootcamp being the two newest additions and the only European security tokens that we are currently tracking. And the interesting finding with these assets, aside from the fact that they were issued outside of the U.S., is that these are actually the only two live trading equity tokens that we see anywhere around the world. So for all of the hype that equities have generated in the security token industry with people thinking of startups, late stage, all these different pieces, equity seems to be that, that main sector that people immediately think of. Um, I found it very interesting that these are the only two equity tokens that you can buy on secondary markets. The others obviously being some sort of revenue share, like the T0 token, a hedge fund, like what we see with, with um, Spice or Bcap or certainly real estate. So um, if you're interested in a little analysis that is more qualitative but is still backed by those quantitative findings, you may be interested in reading my article and, and seeing a little bit more about some of those topics. You can check more of that out on our blog. Additionally, there was an article from Samuel Haig that has a great breakdown of the real estate industry, um, especially in the security token sector and how it's performed over the last month in addition to to some of the other findings that he made over there at Cointelegraph. So if you want to check out Samuel Haig's feedback and, and opinions on that are on, on the market. Definitely check that one out. And I want to thank him again for using security token market data in his report and citing that it, it, throughout the process. So definitely check out his article on Cointelegraph, tokenized real estate booms while security tokens struggle. Finally, we have the market update regarding the secondary market trading of, of the outstanding tokens. And it was a relatively quiet week for security tokens this week. The total market cap kind of sits around that same price. It, it closed at, at $54.5 million from right around 53 last week. Um, T0 was up 10% to over $1.20 on Monday after bouncing up and down throughout the past week. And so the market cap now crosses $25 million for the first time in three weeks. So it is performing well. Um, I think there's some optimism with the overstock digital dividend supposedly being paid out May 19th. That is the official announcement. It has been pushed back many times, but we are now just about a week and a half away and uh, the feeling is that that will happen, that will launch, and, and T0 will have a second token on its ATS for the first time since it launched 18 months ago. So very, very exciting stuff there. Additionally, for other tokens, it was a relatively slow market this week. Most properties held their value. Most equities held their value. Um, but the lower trading volumes, I think, were, were a sign that the markets are, are kind of slow right now. Certainly, that's to be expected in the current climate. But I think it is a, a good thing that the prices are holding. No one is mass selling. We're not seeing a, a huge decline or anything like that as people get scared. Um, the reality is that security tokens have actually performed pretty well uh, compared to the public markets, certainly as we've seen from many of the hard assets. So from there, I think we can transition into the main topic. And, and this week, I think that we wanted to highlight an interesting article back in 2018, Herwig, that you wrote that described the full security token stack. 
And, and based on the viewer stats since publishing, I see it's been a very well-received article. And I figured that today, since we haven't covered it before on the podcast today, we could take an episode to do that and explain the four steps. So without further ado, Herwig, would you mind uh, digging into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the security token stack is something that I often use to walk issuers through how the technology works and how it powers the different components of an STO. So hopefully this will help you listeners uh, hopefully see how security tokens can be seen from a kind of a different angle and or at least see them a little bit more clearly. At least to say hopefully it's not too beginner stuff for many of you. And so, of course, jumping right into it, the security token stack consists of four layers, starting with the bottom layer, the blockchain layer, if you will. Every security token out there you know, is built on distributed ledger technology, and if it isn't, it's simply a digitized security and cannot leverage the true efficiencies of security tokens that are created by smart contracts and distributed ledger technology. Now, of course, the blockchain layer is layer one because it is at a core, the token itself is limited to the blockchain's functionality and the consensus mechanism. So that's why evaluating this layer can look very different between issuer types. Let's first take a look at Ethereum, which is the most popular blockchain platform for STOs today. Ethereum, noted for pioneering smart contract technology, served as a great use case for security tokens. Its tools and capabilities are arguably what launched the tokenization era, and its infrastructure has found home to many startups building in the industry. But that doesn't mean that other blockchain solutions, like as we mentioned earlier, Tezos or Stellar and others, don't also offer smart contract support and STO infrastructure. This all means that when we're evaluating security tokens, stack, layer one will determine different things such as the security procedures, the custody infrastructure, the scalability approaches to factors also like what programming language needs to be used or what consensus mechanism powers the network and could affect the underlying security token functionality. And that's why you, of course, also see private enterprise blockchain solutions such as you know R3's Corda or Hyperledger come into market to offer you know different capabilities. And last week, Kyle noted NASDAQ for choosing R3. And now we've seen Kyle note uh, Exony power a lot of infrastructure for you know, Wall Street today. So since security tokens can exist on all types of DLT solutions, layer one is there to serve as identifying what is the blockchain behind it all. And from there, we can identify what is layer two, which represents the smart contracts and token layer. The very nature of security tokens means that there are all kinds of requirements and regulations that need to be accounted for in a token. And the token is built on a blockchain and now has an operating system that it needs to follow, if you will. So most tokenization companies have gone on to name their operating systems that they've created, such as Securitize's DS protocol, which is built on Ethereum. On the other hand, there are open source protocols too, like the ERC-1404 standard or Ravencoin, which is layered on Bitcoin instead of Ethereum, or you've seen other solutions such as Stellar, which has the STC-20 protocol by Swarm. And in fact, in practice, one could custom develop their own smart contracts if they decided to do so. 
The problem with that is if you you need to ensure that all the regulations for your security tokens are completely accounted for on top of any additional security concerns that could lead to issues with the functionality of the security token. And so that's why technology companies have developed tokenization solutions for others to use. And these tokenization companies represent layer three, or sometimes what I like to look at as sort of an interface layer. At the end of the day, for most security token issuers, they don't really care about layer one or two. It's like needing to know how the hardware behind a phone works in order to make a call. We innately just expect it to work, so most of us just buy an Apple or an Android phone, and most people definitely do not ordinarily go around building their own phones and phone networks. So the Apples and Samsungs of the world exist for issuers to leverage what they've built, and just like with phones, all the tokenization platforms differ themselves. They differ by which blockchains they support, what smart contracts they use, and what features they can enable. Not to mention, they vary by price and experience, just like how we do with our phones. And other factors differentiate them too, such as geography and which jurisdictions they support, or the type of asset class that they focus on, or maybe even the type of instruments or financial structures. Layer 3 is creating an interface for issuers to launch security tokens on, and in this case, it's platforms like Securitize or Polymath or Swarm from our Layer 2 examples that are building and providing the interfaces for issuers to use. And that, of course, leaves us with layer four of the security token stack, the famous liquidity layer. Now, Kyle, you're obviously very familiar with all the liquidity solutions out there. Why don't you walk our listeners through this one? Layer four is my favorite part, so I'd be happy to. I think that the key here is that liquidity is considered the biggest feature since it allows these assets to trade in the same capacity as cryptocurrencies and traditional stocks do today. When it comes to liquidity, this layer is created in three distinct ways. The first is the issuer-managed liquidity. This is done through buyback programs, market makers, and issuer-facilitated transactions, all of which are directly offered by the issuer themselves straight to their token holders and investors. Issuance platform Realty has experimented with this option in complement to outside liquidity providers. And so this is essentially where the issuer can can manage that that liquidity on their own for their users. The second type is a peer-to-peer liquidity, which is created by decentralized exchanges that that power investors to actually trade with each other directly. This typically requires a a whitelist and compliance tools in addition to a liquidity pool solution and, and that allows for investors to trade on that peer-to-peer marketplace. We've seen the Uniswap exchange, which hosts many of the live security tokens to date, leverage this model very successfully, where they have essentially the tech platform that allows for these investors to link together, but don't necessarily have the regulatory components that are expected of a traditional exchange. In this third component, where we're talking about actual exchanges, we're talking about secondary market liquidity through regulated marketplaces and exchanges that use order books and other methods to match buyers and sellers to facilitate trading. This solution is one most commonly known in traditional markets, as exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ use their regulatory licenses to improve the exchange of assets between investors. This also encompasses platforms like T0 and Open Finance, but they are a regulatory level below, if you will, these national exchanges and function as certified alternative trading systems. These platforms are also key to the market because they are, many would argue, are much more scalable than a traditional peer-to-peer model because they can operate an order book, which essentially allows 
buyers and sellers to place bids at a specific rate and then be able to fill them as they find somebody on the other side of that trade. It allows for a more automated process and allows volumes to expand exponentially instead of having to find an exact one-to-one trade between two different buyers and sellers. So between these three options, security tokens can and have found some kind of liquidity on secondary markets, Erwig. Well said, Kyle. You know that it almost sounds like there could even be a, a liquidity stack to, that could go through. And uh, but ultimately, that completes our security token stack. And of course, all the layers do stem from each other. You know, the type of blockchain an STO is powered on, and the smart contracts that they are written on could determine which liquidity solutions are available. And certain platforms only support Ethereum-based security tokens, or even more specifically, perhaps those programmed on a specific protocol, like the DS protocol or even T-Rex protocol by Tokeny, for example, in Europe. So, Yeah, so hopefully this is helpful for our listeners when it comes to evaluating an STO as well. I mean, you should immediately determine the key facts. Which blockchain is it built on? What security token contract protocol is it using? Which tokenization platform issued it? And finally, what the liquidity options for that asset might be. Just as an example, the Fullerton Ave real estate token is on Ethereum. It uses ERC-20 standards with custom smart contracts. It's issued by Realty and trades on a peer-to-peer market using Uniswap. So these four questions are going to be key for evaluating that tech stack. This means that I will manage my investment using the Realty website, or if I choose to self-custody, I can still trade my tokens on the Uniswap platform. For another example, in the case of blockchain capital, it's on the Ethereum blockchain, coded using the DS protocol standard developed by Securitize, which has a partnership with OFN, a secondary market, as well as the peer-to-peer market, leveraging Securitize's instant access tool, which also leverages AirSwap as the back-end decentralized exchange. As we anticipate thousands of security tokens in the future, using the security token stack will be helpful in quickly getting a technical understanding of an STO, which Herwig expertly described throughout this main topic. Or maybe as an issuer, this helps you understand exactly what each layer's functionality does because it will be crucial for you to understand these specific pieces as you work with different providers who will use all kinds of jargon and all kinds of of fancy words to describe all of their functionality. And with that, I think that's all we got for you today on the show. As always, please feel free to reach out to Herwig or myself directly with any questions or feedback. We're very active on Twitter as well as LinkedIn and love having conversations, whether that's discussions, debates, or even just giving us some interesting feedback or any articles you think we missed, overlooked, or any breaking news that you have found yourself. And if you like the show, please be sure to share it with someone or anyone that you think that would like it as well. We like to try to call this the insiders podcast in the industry because we're covering all of the biggest events and all of the institutional plays in the industry. So if you want to stay up to date and don't want to do the research yourself, this is the spot to be. In the meantime, be safe and we'll catch you in next week's episode next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.